0: Well, one of the things I love about EV, uh, and it's been a great privilege over the last kind of two years to see, is that EV feels, I think, like a family. Uh, It it feels like a new family, a family that's still kind of getting on its feet, but it's a family that's grown fast, that's kind of grown quickly. And that's kind of exactly what we've been praying would happen, that God would grow us in our maturity and our love and knowledge of him, and that people would come to know Jesus and be captivated by the amazingness of what Jesus has done, that they join God's family and that he grow them. But as families grow, they need to be more organized. I once kind of heard someone say that people think that families are organic and don't have rules. I'm like, have you ever seen a family of 12? Like there's a chart on the fridge with kind of key things that everyone's got to do. And if someone doesn't do their jobs, the whole family falls apart. Well, as we grow, it's been my kind of feeling, it's my kind of observation that we kind of need to make sure we don't fall apart. Uh, We need to be more organized. Um, Now, organization doesn't make it any less a family. In fact, I think it's part of the way we work together as a good family. We we, we look after one another. We care for one another. But the last thing we want to do is to stop our growth in maturity uh, and in our number as as we grow. We want to do it in a healthy way. And so as a new family, we thought it would be great to have someone to help us do this. If you've come along to hear one of our announcements, this is the first. Uh, We've decided to employ someone, uh, not full-time, but part-time, two days a week, to be what we're calling an executive pastor. Someone who kind of looks after the business aspects of church to help us run as a well-oiled machine, and also to kind of oversee us serving and loving one another. So I want to introduce you to Dave and Rachel Giesbers. Uh, They're on the screen right here. They're not here this week. Uh, They're in Christchurch. Christchurch. Many of you will have met Dave and Rach before, they've been amongst us. In fact, they were here on our second week when we very first started. Um, It was the first week we had eight people, the second week Dave and Rach were in our lounge room because they were keen to support this church. Uh, Dave's got a background in engineering, he's an engineer, he's kind of one of those detailed kind of systems guys who's good at that sort of stuff Um, and he's been willing to give up his job uh, in Christchurch to move up here to Auckland to work for us two days a week. Uh, He's got a theological education from Christchurch. He's done one year of that. Uh, He's been on the core team of a a university church plant, and he's been one of the founding drivers of a Christian group on a university campus. Uh, So I thought what I'd do is introduce you to Dave and Rach. Uh, Here's a quick video of them.
1: Hi, I'm Dave. This is Rach, and this is we, Theo. Can you wave hello, Theo? Hello! We're excited about coming to Auckland and being a part of things happening up there. We've loved hearing what's going on in Auckland and loved seeing when we visited what's happening at Auckland EV. So we're excited to be moving up to be a part of that. Uh, As we do that, we'd love to have you pray for us as a family as we pack up life in Christchurch and uh, move up to Auckland. Uh, Pray that we wouldn't be anxious about things. Uh, Pray that God would continue to provide all the things that we need um, and pray for the relationships that we're leaving behind. Uh, But most of all, pray that in all things we bring glory to God.
0: Um, We'll see you in a few weeks. So I'm excited about having Dave on staff. Uh, He really helped us as a church kind of change gears and keep growing in a way that works well. Dave's going to be working two days a week for us and then two other days a week he's going to be setting up and starting a new church planting network, a Kiwi church planting network called Multiply, where we want to see more and more churches just like this start up across the country. So his brief uh, in, those, in two other days apart from his time at EV is to see that kind of network start up across as many churches in this, in this country as we can. Uh, and the third day, the extra day to make up the five, is going to be helping, the church is very similar to us, the two in Christchurch, one in Wellington that's about to start in April, um, kind of work together on our systems and structures. Uh, and so that's, that's how we're going to fill up his time uh, working here full time, really, but for us two days a week. Uh, I'm excited about this, and I think it's a great stage in the life of our church. Um, and so I've asked Sarah Kennedy to come up. She's going to lead us in prayer, thanking God for what he's doing amongst us and for Dave and Rach. Thanks, Sarah.
2: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to be thankful for. We want to thank you for your generosity to us as a church. Thank you so much for the generosity of each and every person here and for the generosity of all those who support Auckland EV. We want to thank you today, especially for Dave and Rachel and Theo Giespers, and for their generosity in giving up a great job and close friends in Christchurch to serve you here with us in Auckland. Thank you for the way you've been working in them, preparing them and growing them. We ask, Father, that as they pack up their house and say goodbye to so many friends, you would make the move go smoothly. You would give them opportunities with those who don't yet know you to see the hope they have in Jesus, that you would encourage them and that you would fix their eyes on Jesus. We pray that you'll help us as a church to welcome them and love them and care for them as we partner together to see more and more of Auckland captivated by your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.
0: Well, friends, so that, that means that this year, it'll be quite an exciting year. We'll have Dave uh, working two days a week for us. We'll have uh, Lyndon and his wife, Abby, doing a, an MTS apprenticeship, so like a, 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 an apprenticeship in ministry full-time for church. Uh, But if that wasn't enough exciting news for you, I've got one more piece of news that will, I think, uh, get you really excited. Here it is. Ever since we've begun as a church, Auckland EV has been excited about reaching people with the good news of Jesus. And what we're about to do now as a church is something that we've wanted to do since the very first day. See, we wanted to be a church that was born pregnant, a church that was excited about seeing more people come in and more churches start. And that's exactly what we'll be doing uh, this March. We're starting a night church on UniCampus where people can come and be challenged with the truth of Jesus, to look authentically and truthfully at the evidence for who Jesus is and to meet a community of people that really are excited and captivated by Jesus.
2: Evie pushes and challenges me to uh, be very intentional about how I live my life, always being on a mission for Christ.
1: For me, 2014 is a year filled with hope. I'm part of a community where I'm supported, I'm loved, and I'm accepted for who I am as a person. And, you know, I'm really excited to be a part of what God's going to do through the church just how God continues to build and grow relationships not only in my life but within the community that we serve.
0: If you're a uni student then we'd love you to come along uh, to check this out as a church to see this as a place where you can be inviting people from uni you can be introducing them to the Jesus who's captivated you and if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus if there's something you want to find out about him we'd love you to come along see we want to be a bunch of people But don't think we've got it all together. But we point to someone who does. Someone who died for us. Someone who created the world. And he did it for you. So we'd love you to come along and partner with Auckland EV and what we're about to do. We'd love to see this city of Auckland and its students and people in Central City really get a grip on who Jesus is and what he's done. So friends, I think this is an exciting stage in the life of our church. Uh, I think it's the moment when you announce to the world, we're pregnant, right? It's that moment where you kind of go, guess what? We're having a baby in three weeks. Um, Now, that's a pretty short gestation period, isn't it? Um, Some of you will be like, whoa, that's happened pretty fast. Starting at night church is something we'd always been thinking about doing. um, And it just kind of worked out that as we saw the amount of staff we were able to put on under God this year and have with us that we, we thought now's the time to run. Now's the time while we as a, as a morning church have momentum to kind of keep that momentum going and pray for and support an, an evening church on uni campus. The stats are basically like this. There's roughly 10,000 students starting in Auckland next week or in two weeks' time at university. Let, let's say a quarter of those are moving to Auckland uh, to study And let's just say that of of that quarter, two and a half thousand people, there's maybe five percent that are Christians that are looking for a place to keep their faith strong and and encouraged and matured and and a place where they can invite their friends along to. That means that in the next three weeks, there's 125 people looking for a church in Auckland. And we figure, and the university students, we figure, why not start one on campus? Shadows have said, yes, we can have exclusive use of, of their premises on campus. There's no other church that meets on campus. So we thought, why don't we, uh, with Dave's expertise in, in doing uni Church stuff um, and with the people and time that we have now, begin and see how we can start this church called uni Church. Now, there are 50, you're kind of wondering, how are we going to do this? Like, we're already pretty small and, and that was kind of my concern originally and why we we're going to put it off for a while. But there are 15 people that are committed to being part of this core team to start this church. 11 are from EV and there's another four who've been linked to EV in, in various ra- ways, there's about 30 people on the fringe then who have said, yep, that's something I'd like to be interested in or I'd like to come and check out as we've kind of floated it with a couple of people. Everyone that I've asked from EV, I've asked to consider it a- as something that they're doing on top of coming to morning church. But I don't want to see this church service kind of go down um, because we're like suddenly focusing on the new baby. Um, I want us to be like, no, it's exciting what's going on here. In fact, that the great thing is seeing God work in people's lives. Now, Running uni-church has got a whole heap of advantages for us. We'll work through the same sermons, so we're not expecting everyone to come twice on a Sunday. We're not saying, oh, now we've upped your Christian quota. You need to come along and get two in on a Sunday. No, we're going to run the same sermons, so that if you're serving at morning church, you can come and hear the talk at night church. Um, or if you, if you go to night church all the time, if you're at uni-church, you might be able to come and serve in the morning and kind of help out with kids' programs and be trained and equipped. That One of the other advantages is... We've got lots of uni students that are eager to grow in their love and knowledge of Jesus and be trained and helped to be able to serve Him. And we want to be able to do that. We want to be a training hub for people to to know how to speak of Jesus, to use the gifts and abilities and talents God's given them to see people grow deeply in Jesus and see more and more people come to know Him. Uh, It's not just aimed at uni students. It's called Uni Church because that's where it is. Um, So we'd love for people to come along who aren't uni students. We'd love for more mature people to come along and provide that mature, older figure role. Um, But again, we'd love you to commit firstly to morning church if you're here. And then if that's an extra you can do, we'd we'd love you to come to that. Um, I'm actually excited about this opportunity, as you can probably guess. (laughs) I think it's it's an amazing time that we've seen what God has been doing in us and through us. But I'm not unrealistic. As we think through starting uh, this church like any growth, it'll come with pains. Uh, the staff team that we've got will be shared across two congregations as, as Uni church grows. There'll be more people to love and to care for, to grow and mature. But That's why EV exists, isn't it? That's what we're here to see, to see people come to know Jesus, to see people get that the creator of the universe died so that they could, be, they could live forever, they could be in right relationship with Him to see more and more people across this city captivated by Jesus. That, that's why we started. That's, that's why we're here. And like any new child, I think we need to pray for it. We need to pray that, that this church won't just be an event that we put on on Sundays, won't just kind of be an added extra to make EV look good, but that we'll really be focusing on making, showing how great Jesus is, showing a uni community and people who live in the central city that Jesus is why we are here, that it will be a place where people are captivated and that people are grounded in this word and they'll, they'll tell others about it and they'll invite their friends. Friends, like us at Morning Church, we want this to be a church that's on mission, not just on Sundays, but throughout all our life to see people grow deeper and deeper in their love and knowledge of God and to see more people come in. The thing to remember is that God is the one who gives the growth. Throughout all this, it's okay if it's slow. It's actually okay if, if Uni Church fails. I want to say from the start that if, if we try and start it and it kind of doesn't go well and the people don't come like they, we thought they would and we decide the best thing to do is to end it, I think that's great. As long as kind of we love and care for the people that we've got there and make sure we get them back into other churches. Sure, that's not what we're aiming for. But we want to be trying to trust God at His Word when He says that He'll bring people to Himself through His Word and by His Spirit. So if you've got uh, concerns about Uni Church, if you want to chat to me later or you want to be part of it or you're just excited about it, I would love to chat to you after church. I'll be available to come and talk to or any time this week. But please do come and if you've got kind of concerns you're worried about, about them, us carrying the load and how things will work, we'd love to chat to you. There are things that we've thought through, but there might be things that we haven't. But most of all, we'd love you to be praying for it. We'd love you to be praying for these people that are part of it and for these 125 students plus all the non-Christians that are moving to Auckland Uni or that are at Auckland Uni this year, all UTS, or Unis around, that they might be captured by Christ. And Marcus is going to come now and, uh, and do exactly that. Lead us together in a time of prayer about, uh, about this very exciting thing. Thanks, brother.
1: Hello. Good morning. <laughs> cool, it's exciting times, eh? Shall we join together and pray? Yes, dear Father, it is so exciting to be part of a church that is growing and expanding, not because it makes us look popular or successful, but because, God, it means that your gospel is going out, that your word's going out, more people are getting exposed to your gospel, and hopefully more lives will get changed and renewed by the grace that you extend, Lord God. And in this light, Lord God, we just we bring before this exciting new venture of Union Church, Father. Um, yeah, we come with humility, Lord God, because we recognize that well simply we can't do this, Lord God. We can we can prepare a a cool venue that's got cool lighting, we can practice instruments and make cool cool music, we can prepare cool inspiring sermons, Lord God, but we can't change hearts, Lord God. We can't um, fix the brokenness that um, yeah, that resides in so many people's hearts, Lord God, and um, yeah, we recognize that only you can do that, and so Father, we bring this before you, um, and we're excited, Lord God, because we, we believe that you're behind it, Lord God, and um, yeah, just pray your blessing upon it. Um, yeah, we just pray pray for those that are involved, Lord God, that you keep us from being distracted um, by all the new new things to organize, the new people that we'll meet through it all that father your gospel remain the central um thing that captivates us and that that will be the contagious thing that spreads through this new thing of uni church father we pray that it will be a catalyst for inspiring uni students and other people who like lord god to um to be excited and energized about our faith lord god and um that it really will be a catalyst for your word going out across this uni and across the city father so um yeah we just We're excited, Lord God, and we we look forward in in anticipation to what you're going to do through this. So pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
3: Hi, everyone. My name's Sean, and I'll be uh, doing the Bible reading. Uh, If anyone doesn't have a Bible, uh, if you want to raise your hand, someone will come along and uh, we can lend you one. If you don't have a Bible at all, then we'd be more than happy for you to take that with us as a gift from us. So yeah, just uh, just put your hand up if you'd like one. Uh, I shall be reading from Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 5 to 25, and then uh, 57 to 80. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning the incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you, and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed... He returned home after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. On to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel.
0: Sorry about that. Let's pray. Father God, as we've just heard your word spoken, we ask that by your spirit, And through that word, you would point us to your son. You'd show us how relevant he is to us. And you'd help us, Lord, to be excited about this Jesus. Amen. As you sit here this morning, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there are massive events happening around the world. Events that will impact countries for decades to come. I don't know how many of you read the news section, the world news section in the paper. Uh, Some of you might, but my hunch is that for most of us, we just don't care. We don't kind of have it on our radar. It's kind of too much to think about these things that are going on. It's too much just to deal with the issues of my life, let alone the issues that are going on in other places around the world. For most of us, our world consumes us. The stuff going on in my life just fills my horizon, doesn't it? It's kind of hard to look above it. Fears about my future, my, my family, myself. Grief. Loss. The constant reflection of a loss I've had in the past. Kids that aren't this and should be that. And inner struggles where you're like, I just keep doing what I don't want to do. And the things I want to do, I just can't do. What, what, what is wrong with me? My, my job. Bills to pay. Asking me to worry about potential world-changing events in a far-off country just seems, well, it seems too hard, doesn't it? But what Luke is about to show us, as Sean just read, isn't some seemingly unrelated historic trivia about the first century AD, in a land far away that has no effect on you and I, what Luke is about to show us as he unravels this careful account based on eyewitnesses, as he said in the last four verses, the accounts that have existed that he's looked into with great detail and carefulness, what Luke is about to show us is that these events are earth-shattering events. The things we're about to read about are are the the pinnacle of thousands of years of history. They're what the world is about. These events are about you. So after locating us in time with Herod, kind of secular sources, kind of locate that Herod was real, real guy, Luke then unpacks the birth of two children, kind of side by side, John and Jesus. This week, we're just going to look at John. Next week, we're going to come back and look at the bit we skipped in the middle about Jesus and, and see the difference between the two. But I want you to take notice. Luke takes great care in this careful and orderly account to put it together in this structure. If you're an engineer or a builder or a scientist, you're used to reading technical manuals that just give facts. But this is literature. This is a book written by someone Who knows how to write books, not just manuals? Someone who's worked hard to put it together in such a way as to convey more than just mere facts. He's ordered them to show you something about the facts, what the facts actually mean. He goes, John, flips to Jesus, talks about John, flips back to Jesus. Luke is saying something about these two children and their place in history that's earth shattering. Now, I wasn't there at your birth, thankfully, uh, but you were. And though your parents might have thought you were special, and you were to them, (laughs) there's something very different about the birth of these two children, especially the one we're looking at now. Firstly, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were descendants of Aaron. Now That probably doesn't mean much to you, right? We're like, what does that mean? Aaron, Aaron, however you say it, you know? Aaron was the first priest of Israel. And somewhere in his family line, big things were expected. And what we find is both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were from this line. Luke goes out of his way then to show that this couple was a good family. They were a faithful couple. They'd been together for a long time. He tells us they were both very well along in years, but they had no children. The silent grief of people who try to have kids, but they don't come. Some of you will have felt that. It's it's a reality right throughout the Bible and right throughout the church. Uh, Sarah and I have only known a small window of that grief. Uh, Before we had Nathaniel, the first of our four kids, we had an ectopic pregnancy and they had to remove one of the fallopian tubes and said the other one didn't look brilliant. And so if you're going to try and have kids, you should try soon. Now we have four. God is great. But we only had a small window where we were like, there's a possibility that we may not be able to have children. And that window was brief. But for some of you, and for this couple here, that window was long and hard. God knows your grief. And one thing that we can see clearly from this passage is that if you can't have kids, it's not necessarily because of your sin. Let me say it again. If you can't have children, it's not necessarily because of your sin, because it's just not the case here. This couple were living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, verse 6. There's no issue with them. The fact that their prayers weren't answered with a yes isn't necessarily an indicator of sinfulness or of lack of faith. So often I hear people say, if only you had more faith then all oh, your problems would be, would be solved. But it's just not what I see in the Bible. It's not what I see in life. It doesn't seem to be the case here or with Job or with the, the majority of people we meet in God's Word. And I'm going to say, if this is you at the moment or, or maybe you in the future, or well, there's something that you're struggling with and grieving with that, that has got you and that you're praying about and God hasn't answered with a yes yet, You'll see today that there isn't a promise here that you will get kids or that God will answer it with a yes, but there's an encouragement to keep asking. God doesn't want us to go quiet. He wants us to come to Him as our Father, a Father who knows us and loves us and hears us. So don't give up praying. Well, if you're following on in the outline, up to the point, the temptation of idolatry. Because Sometimes our desire to have children or the way we can treat our children can move us from a desire that's good to the place of God. Let me say it again. Sometimes our desire for children or to to bring our children up in the right way can move us from a desire that's good, loving our children, to a desire that treats our children as God. Let let me show you what I mean. We're all created to worship, right? Right? To put something at the center of our lives. To live for something. And the Bible is pretty clear that the worship of, of anything other than the creator of the universe is idolatry. To live in any way with someone else at the center of your life for something else is wrong. Idolatry is when we take the things that are good and we make them God. We serve them. We live for them. We find our worth in them, our hope in them, our security in them. For some of us, it's food, it's money, it's career, it's status, it's sex. But I think one of the things for the church often is family. I reckon that's one of the great Christian idols. We love kids here at EV. We want to see our kids grow and we want to celebrate when children are born. But you've got to get the order right. We love kids because we love God and God loves children. Jesus doesn't exist so that we can have a family. Family exists so we can worship Jesus. You've got to get the order right. But what happens when you can't have kids? What do you do? Do you curse God? Do you find another God? And what some of us do is we sin. We serve ourselves rather than God but the couple that's before us today Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's exactly what they didn't do. In an age when a barren wife was grounds for divorce, Zechariah didn't divorce his wife. He stuck with her. Nor had he gone somewhere else to father children. He could have committed adultery with some other woman like so many before him had. Even Abraham. Sarah comes to Abraham and says, why don't you go go off? And That's why we take our shoes off at airports now. Okay, so no he didn't, he stayed. The other option was to get bitter. But this isn't what Zechariah does. He's faithful, he's joyful. There's no hint of bitterness in this guy. I mean, you know how easy it is when things don't go the way we want for a long time to start to hate God, to be angry at him, to despise him, to stop worshipping him and to stop serving him. Slowly, and ever so slowly, slip out that back door because, well, how can he be good? But this couple didn't do that. Here's what they did. They worshipped God. They put God first. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, that is what they would do. They spent their days in walking frames, probably, serving God, understanding that they may not ever have children. They were both quite old, Luke tells us. And everyone knows there's no obstetric section in a nursing home. Right? You don't call, no, one, no obstetrician gets a call out to a nursing home. It just doesn't go on. Apparently, according to the Guinness Book of Records, the oldest woman uh, in modern history to, to naturally give birth to a child was 59 years of age. Dawn Brook is her name. She's in Britain. She had the help of estrogen supplements. But 59 years, that's the oldest that we've got. We know that this just doesn't happen. So here we have this old priest in his walking frame. Actually, the Bible doesn't say he had a walking frame. I added that. So just kind of, he's old, okay? Um, Zechariah goes up to the temple. Now, now he's not some big shot priest. He's not kind of like the center guy or the the high priest. He's a little priest from a small village town. And the way that the priests worked, they would have divisions that all be divided up. And his division, like the others, would take it in turns to spend one week, two times a year, to minister at the temple. Uh, Two weeks a year, that was it. That was their service. They'd all come together, their division, and they'd kind of roll the dice to see who'd get the big job. The job of taking in the the incense to offer, to put on the coals in in the room right next to where God dwelt in the temple. And this, this incense would then go up to God as a symbol, symbolizing the prayers of the people going up to God who is in heaven. This is a big job, right? And once you get to do it once, that's it. You, can, you can't do it again, you're out. They roll the dice, Zechariah's up. Something big is going on. It's like he's got the captain's position for the All Blacks at the World Cup. That's the kind of idea, right? It's the closest the regular priest could get to this Holy of Holies. And just like at the World Cup when all New Zealand was outside praying... So all the leaders of Israel were outside praying that the prayers of Zechariah on behalf of them all would rise up and that God would be pleased and answer them with a yes. Zechariah goes in. Probably took him a while. He, he drops the incense of the coals. Says a prayer. Smoke goes up. Symbolizing what the God is hearing them. And then before his eyes, recorded with enough detail to tell us what side of the altar the angel was standing, by the way, an angel, a messenger, appears. Have a look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. Right? You think that's amazing. But then listen to 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Zechariah will have a son. But that's not the most exciting news. That's not earth-shattering news. It's pretty special given how old they are. But here we see something that's even more exciting, is that the Spirit of God is on him. Even when this kid is in the womb, he's special. Now, we want to say every kid is special. Every child is special, even children inside the womb, right? As a side note, but I think it's an important one, a child in the womb is a child. We kind of see that here. I don't get how you could find a stronger argument anywhere for an unborn baby being a person than this. Named by God, filled with the Spirit, set apart for ministry, all while still in the belly of its mother. To me, that seems like a pretty good case that this kid is a person from conception. Friends, Christians need to be pro-life people. God is a pro-life God who wants us to take children to their full terms. That means we as churches need to be pro-life in the way we care for people. Care for people who feel like they can't handle it. Walk alongside others, not just stand there pointing our fingers at people, but love women and children because we think God made them. But there's something even more special about this kid. There's more to celebrate than that. Many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll turn many sons of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll go before him, but go before the Lord in this power and the spirit of Elijah. I don't know if any of your parents had an angel appear to them and say these things. I know mine didn't. It kind of seems a little odd, and that's the point Luke's making. This is something special. But what is that about? Well, this message has come in a context. It's it's a brilliant question. What what is it? What's the right question. What does it mean to come in the spirit and power of, of Elijah? See, for the past 400 years, God's been silent. God has not spoken, no prophet, no messenger, no voice, no sign, no miracle, no nothing. Just nothing has been said for 400 years. The last thing God said was back in Malachi chapter 4. Actually, flick there. If you've got a Bible or a device, just go back to Matthew and then go back one more page. And that's just, everyone turn now if you've got it. Go to Matthew. Okay, you got it if you've got it there. Then as you flick one more page back, that's 400 years. That's 400 years to Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 4. These are the last words of God for 400 years. And they're on the screen or in your Bibles. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, and the statues and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, for all Israel. Look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. John and Jesus don't turn up in a vacuum. They come in a, in a context, a history. And Luke wants to make sure you don't miss this. This is exactly what's going on. He's gone to lots of effort. God has gone to lots of effort. For the past three and a half thousand years plus, he's been aiming towards the day that someone would come not just Jesus but John the Baptist that he would come and prepare the way he would turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and announce the coming of God now there's something earth-shattering <laughs> there's some news that should impact us God my maker come to earth and that someone is coming before him to prepare this way something extraordinarily relevant Is this child? Zechariah's there. Incense gone, angels standing there. How does this godly priest respond to such good news? Well, with the wrong answer. (laughs) It's so typical of Israel throughout history. Zechariah refused to take God's word. So different to Mary that we'll see next week. She just says, may it be as you have said. (laughs) But Zechariah, verse 18, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I tell you to be a fly on the wall in that conversation. To see the angel's face. Oh, really? You're old? Hadn't noticed the frame? Or, you know, Hadn't heard the kind of prayers that have been going up for the last 70 years or so? <laughs> it is true. Some of us angels do find age a bit hard to judge. Hadn't noticed. You can imagine what, what's going on with this angel. And then Zechariah says, well, how can I know? He's like, where are you standing in the temple? What is in the room next door, the place where God dwells? You've been praying for how long? And you come in, you roll the dice, you get chosen. Surprise, surprise, you turn up here. Here you are. You offer your prayers, the prayers go up, and there's an angel standing in front of you. How can you know? Does this happen to anyone else? Then the angel gets straight to him. Do you know who I am? I am Gabriel. Now, as a side note, there are only two angels ever named throughout the Bible. Uh, One is Michael and the other is Gabriel. Gabriel spoke to Daniel way back about this idea of of a Savior coming. And Zechariah gets one of the named angels speak to him on this day. That's a big day. Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. You know where I was just before I came? standing next to the creator of the universe. And God, Yahweh, the creator of all things and heaven and earth, and the one who sustains all things and has everything in the palm of his hand, said to me, go tell Zechariah yes. And you questioned me. What's wrong with you, Zechariah? If you're not prepared to trust the word of God... Well, God won't be prepared to let you speak. You won't be able to speak His Word at all. What's really interesting is that the first miracle in the book of Luke is a miracle of judgment. It's a miracle that shuts someone up. See, we laugh at this guy. I kind of go, who would do that? When God would say something so clearly, who would actually question it? But then I think a little bit harder and reflect on myself how often does God say things that are quite clear in His Word that we want to question? We aren't sure. God, do you really want me to only marry a Christian? Yes. How can I know? Well, I've said it to you. Oh, can I have some sort of confirmation? Read the Bible. Or what is right and what is wrong? And who can I marry? And what sex can they be? And surely God is love. If God is love, then what He says clearly in His Word, we lack belief. Sometimes we doubt God's forgiveness. We hear that we're forgiven, but we start doubting it. Surely God can't forgive me. If He only knew what I've done, He does. If He knew what I've done, He wouldn't wouldn't want to do this for me. He does. It's too much. I can't go that way. Nothing is too much for him. He's like, yes, I forgive you. I died in your place. Stop doubting my word. You did the crime. Yes, I'm not hiding that, but I've done the time. Jesus has paid the price. It's finished. They were his words. It is finished. Stop trying to think. You can fix it yourself. I don't think there's a problem making sure it's God. Now, 1 John tells us that we must test everything against what the apostles first taught. It's kind of the litmus test for everything. Does it line up with God's word? And because of Zechariah's disbelief, he's muted, literally. The angel hits the mute button and he can't speak for the next nine months. Nothing. Got me thinking maybe that was his problem. Maybe that's why they hadn't had kids. Because he didn't shut up. <laughs> maybe you like, put the mute button on and things might get better. That's just a side note. But Zechariah goes home. Nine months later, a baby comes out. Much joy, much expectation, so much to celebrate. But an odd name, John. Now, it seems plain to us. There are heaps of Johns around, but it was odd to them. You see, he just didn't do that. When your kid was born, you called it by your own name. But Elizabeth suggests John and the family go wild. Now, this is the reason, right? It's a tip for young players. This is the reason why you don't tell anyone what name you're thinking about calling your child. Because as soon as you tell them, oh, we're thinking about calling them John, everyone just complains. You can't call them that. That's not in the family line. Oh, people will call him John Son or come up with some sort of shortened thing. And everyone complains and... You know, don't do it. My tip is, if you're going to have babies, keep the name a secret until you've filled out the birth certificate. Then you can kind of walk out and do the Lion King thing, you know? Here is Simba, or John, and this is his name. And then everyone's like, okay, that's the kid's name. We've already put it in, it's too late. That's my tip. That's what Mary tried to do. We're going to call him John. But the pressure, the family, the mute husband. Until with four words, John expresses his faith finally his name is John in case you're wondering it's four words in the Greek as well just for completion immediately his mouth's opened and for the first time in nine months Zechariah can speak what would you say when we come out of your mouth He worships God and praises him. So here's the thing. True worship of God is on his terms. And it's only possible by trusting his word. Zachariah was only allowed to worship God when he finally trusted God. When he worshipped him on his his terms. And praise God and worship God, he does. And he's not just excited because he has a son. He's excited about that. That's, That's for sure. But it's even more. It's what this son has come to do. The fulfillment of Malachi 4. It's on the screen, Luke 1, 68. Just listen to the words of this man. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days god keeps his promises God keeps his promises. He might have been silent for 400 years, but when God puts his name to something, it happens. John and Jesus don't come in a vacuum. They come with an expectation. And Zechariah is saying, this is the one to prepare the way for the greatest person the world has ever seen. This is earth-shattering news that will change you. And then listen to him, focusing in verse 76. And you, my child... Will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, which by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. I want that if that is who John has come to prepare the way for, if Luke is setting us up to see closely who this person is, if this actually happened, if it fulfilled what was promised 400 years, 700 years, way back to Abraham, I want in. Have you noticed how Zechariah speaks here of a future event as though it already happened? Have you noticed how that happens throughout the Bible? That you will be saved is future, but it's seen as certain. That you are being saved in the present, but it's still seen as certain. You have been saved. In fact, the Bible can speak so clearly of our salvation that it's already happened. Luke is saying, Zechariah is saying, you can treat this as a reality. You have been saved. If you take God at His word and trust this one coming. Now, the Old Testament language was saved from our enemies. That would be the way they'd speak. But here, enemies, and in the New Testament, they're, they're redefined. The enemy lies within. It's sin. It's our own rebellion against God. It's putting anything but God at the center of our lives. It's idolatry. Tempted to mistrust or not believe that God could forgive. Friends, Jesus died while you were his enemy. While you wanted nothing to do with him. Don't do what Zechariah did. Don't consistently doubt the word of God. Look at the evidence. Test it against scripture, against the historical sources. Hear this message but hear it clearly. Don't leave here today without understanding that This child that John is preparing the way for is coming to bring life forever. No more death, no more crying. He's coming to fix the problem of my relationship with God. We have so much to celebrate. We've got so much to celebrate as we look at what God has done for us in Jesus, I'm in deep awe of Him who would provide salvation for me, for someone who consistently puts myself at the center of the universe, that God would die. But His salvation isn't because of me. It's not because of anything I've done. It's because God came to us. It's because Jesus lived and died for you and me. Friends, as we look at the celebration of Zechariah, as we think through what God has done bringing this child into the world with news about your life, I hope it makes you want to know more, want to come and see what this child will do, what he will say, and the one that comes after him, how he will be. I hope you become more and more captivated by God. But what's on view here is that at the end of the day, all we can do is say thank you to God. The most we can say after we've done all our effort, all our time, starting new churches, inviting people to church, telling our friends about Jesus, the most we can say to God is thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for using me. Thank you for growing me. Friends, we have so many reasons to praise our God. And it's my prayer that as we go out from hearing this message, from hearing Zachariah's deep praise of the amazingness of our God, that our eyes would be fixed on him, that our doubts would be pushed away, that those things that cloud us, that shift our eyes down from the horizon would be pushed aside so we might see that this universe exists to praise Jesus. And pray that God will use us in any way he can to see more come to know him and grow deeply in him. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much for stepping into this world in your son, Jesus. Thanks for the way that you've so organized history to point to him. We pray that you would fix our eyes on Jesus that we wouldn't be so overwhelmed by the world around us, by our insecurities, our hurts, our frustrations. We'd call life, we'd call things for as they really are. We'd come to you on our knees, ask for forgiveness and receive it. Father, for those of us who haven't yet put our faith in you, haven't yet taken your word as true, we ask that you would show us the reality of these events, this carefully investigated eyewitness account of history and that you might capture us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.